Hey guys, this is Nifty Q. I just wanted to pop in to say thank you to all of you who have been supporting the channel over the past few months. It's been great to see the growth in the show in that time, and it has a lot to do with you guys tuning in each week. Just a quick note on this episode with Ark Legger. He had a little bit of an audio issue with his computer fan running almost the entire episode, so hopefully that doesn't throw you off too much. I'll definitely work to improve communication with the guests beforehand so that stuff like this doesn't happen again, but Ark had a lot of great insights on what we've experienced over the past couple weeks as well as where we're headed uh, in the next few months. Really, really insightful individual on a lot of levels. So hopefully you enjoy the episode and I'll see you next week. You're checking out the Nifty Q Show. All right, good morning, good evening, good night. Welcome into the Nifty Q Show. We're still here. We're still interviewing founders, leaders, and builders here in the non-fungible token industry. Today, I am sitting with Ark Legger, game designer and Web3 advisor in the Web3 space, of course. We'll be talking about the current bear market environment, board apes and goblins, his history building large games, and much more. Ark, I appreciate you taking some time and, and coming in and stopping by the studio, man. Yeah, of course. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so two things that we're a part of as well uh, that I wanted to get up right off the bat. Team No Coda. Didn't get a coda in, in my other side land there. And then we're also part of the Bunny Gang. I want to give a quick shout out to the Bunny Gang. They're a great group of people who own, you know, apes and, and mutant apes that have bunny ears. And that's one of the best traits you could have. So shout out to the Bunny Gang out there. Agree. Totally uh, non-biased. <laughs> so what's going on, man? I wanted to start today off by just kind of getting your takes on, on the current market and, and how you're surviving. I know you're headed to NFT NYC next week. Excited for that. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, hindsight. In hindsight, it's always much more clear when you look at everything. So it's not surprising that we're here right now with the big run-up that we had last year. Um, I think we all are a little disappointed because we wanted um, the other side launch to just be like perfect, and it wasn't perfect. So we all kind of just that was like our first hit, and then it just seemed like everything just slowly started going down from there with Luna and global economy, you know, going down with COVID. And so, you know, now we're here and the, uh, the thing I keep seeing, which I think is good advice is, you know, just try to survive, you know, just try to do what you can to, um, make sure your the bags that you like the most are the ones that you still have, you know, when this is all over, now nothing was, goes down. It, nothing is this your, uh, is this your bear, first bear market here? Or is this no. something? No, not your first market. Sorry, what do you take over from a previous market that you've been part of? Oh man, the first the first bear was was 2018, and that was when um, everything was just crypto. I mean, there, there was there were NFTs around, but nobody was paying attention to them. They were all it was all crypto, and that was when we saw all of these coins kind of disappear. You know, nobody really talks about all the Bitcoin clones anymore. Um, that was like. like if, if people don't if people don't know what that is you know when goblins came out there was a hundred derivatives of goblins right afterwards that was bitcoin in crypto it was like bitcoin gold bitcoin cash bitcoin diamonds bitcoin this bitcoin that and everyone was trying to get you to buy their bitcoin which was all just a copy of the actual bitcoin but so you know all of those kind of disappeared and um a lot of the other meme coins kind of disappeared and so what happened is I started to 
noticed people were selling and diluting or diverting or diversifying back into the strong coins, right? So people started going back into Bitcoin, back into Ethereum. Um, and a, Bitcoin was just like a huge vacuum. And that was when um, I only for up to that point, I only ever saw everything go up together and everything go down together. And what happened in 2019 or late 2018 during the bear market was Bitcoin was going up, everything else was going down. And so that was when it really like sucked like a vacuum. Everybody kind of just got rid of everything they had to, to chase Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of I see a similar thing happening with NFTs where people are gonna chase the blue chips, right? They call them the blue chips. Mm-hmm. But um, people will probably start noticing some of these NFTs go up but not everything's going to go up together because people are going to take the stuff that they don't believe in anymore or that they might be too risk high risk in. They're going to go into the NFTs, like the top three or four NFTs that are just going up. So I think that's something that could we could see, you know, during this bear market. Um, a lesson that I learned from the previous bear is you can't control, you can control your assets, but you can't control what everybody else does. Mm-hmm. And so if everybody else is selling, then that's what you, that's, there's nothing much you can do. If everybody else is going into one token, it's, there's nothing much you can do because that's just what the market's doing. So um, you just, you know, you just, it's, you just got to really believe in your research. Like the, the due diligence that you did is the right due diligence because when you were doing it and you convinced yourself to make the purchase, there was a reason behind it. So you just have to remember that those reasons are still there. Nothing changed with any of the technology. Uh, you know, nothing changed with any of the big major companies. If anything, they're just adding more people and getting more funding probably. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just a, a waiting period now. We just have to ride it out, and and the community is the biggest point, the biggest piece right now. Is the community can help everybody get through uh, the bear market. But this bear is not as bad as the last one, honestly. Because last bear we didn't have anything to do. It was just crypto. This bear we have so many more things to do. It's cool to draw those comparisons to previous bears. There's people that have been around and experienced four or five of these cycles at this point. Maybe four is probably more accurate, but it's interesting to, to take those uh, kind of like experiences saying, oh, in you know, 2018, it didn't feel as bad, right? Whereas you know, at the top of each of the cycles, I get into a environment or an experience where I can never time those tops because I almost get caught up in this euphoria. So I'm great at holding when we're at the bottom here, but I just suck at selling those tops, man. <laughs> well, that's, that's because, well, you suck at selling the bottoms. You suck at selling the tops, but you also suck at selling the bottoms, which means you're overall, you're going to win out, right? Because eventually <laughs> when you do finally sell, it'll hopefully be much higher than when you bought. So don't hurt. Don't everyone's like that, right? The most people are, are like that because it's such an emotional thing, you know? Um, you know, if everybody, if everybody wants a piece of, of what you got, it, you're going to hold on to it tightly, right? And if everybody thinks that what you have is worthless, then why would you buy more of it? Yeah, we're so gonna we're it, gonna stay here in, in this current market discussion because uh, I think there's a lot going on that we can just you know riff on. I wanted to give you a quick shout out to the live chatters here on YouTube. We also are on on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on all those podcasting platforms. So definitely check us out afterwards uh, if you miss some of the show. 
one of the live chatters here, Prodigy, is saying, do you think apes will get back to 100th floor? And, I d you know, you're an ape holder. I do want to get your take on how shocked or maybe not shocked you were that the NFT floor, especially for some of the blue chips, were falling quite as fast as, you know, the regular cryptocurrency coins. That was one thing that maybe I could have guessed prior was, okay, ETH price is going to drop, which is, you know, going to take down the USD price, but maybe we'll hold in that 100 to 110 range. But what we saw was just a complete almost collapse of that, that 100 ETH floor. We hit 75 maybe uh, here on the on the board eight floor. So what was your take of, of that floor? Do you, did you see that as healthy? Um, I think it's super healthy, honestly. Uh, we hit 70 something, 78 or 75 right before we hit 150. Um, you know, that was in, I forget when that was, but that was on the run up to ApeCoin um, coming out. But before that run up, we were in the 70s. So I'm not surprised. You know, anybody can set the floor price. I could go right now and set a floor price on an NFT for 20 Ethereum under and a bot would just buy it up. But, you know, that's, that's just a certain amount of people selling because they need money. You know, they need the assets. They, people, I think people, that's, I, let me, let me clarify. I don't think people are selling their NFTs because they think NFTs are dumb and they're out and they think NFTs are like over. I think people are selling because they are struggling and they need money and they need like they overinvested, they didn't sell at the top and now they need to pay bills and that's everybody right now you know that's we just came out of a, a really really long period the entire world dealt with the same thing in covid and now we have tons of money that got printed and you know trillions of dollars and now there's inflation and gas and food is more expensive and people's stocks are going down and crypto is going down and people just need money um it's not a bad thing it's just the truth of what's going on you know people are people are i feel really bad for people that didn't get into nfts because they didn't have anything to sell right like maybe they bought a bunch of netflix <laughs> that way <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, there's, there, yeah. I I feel really bad for some of these people that aren't even in this Web three space because we're getting so much extra inflows of income all the time, like from drops or dividends or, you know, um, pay to earn or just there's so many ways that funnels of money coming in that you can make in Web three. Now they're not like going to change your life, but it's still little bits of money here and there. But people that aren't in that ecosystem they're really struggling right so it's like there people are that's why you see the stocks the stocks going down and i mean everything's just brutal right now but just you know you got to remember there's a there's a book i read um called delivering happiness and he has a it was a, it was the audible i listened to it was tony shea and i listened to the audible of him speaking it and at the end of the book he you know kind of does like a summary and i always remember what he said and it was you know, what he learned in his life is that it's never really that good and it's never really that bad when you think about it. You know, you have times that are great and times that suck, but overall, you can kind of keep a level head and realize that when things are good, they're good, but when, you know, they're not gonna be like that forever. When things are bad, they're bad, but it's, you know, it's never so bad and it's never so great. 
And so if you kind of think in that mentality, it makes the bear market feel a lot better because you realize like, yeah, everyone's sold. Okay, well, can't do that forever. Yeah. And again, like what you're saying, it's it's important to not get caught up in the euphoria at the top, but to not get so depressed here uh, at the bottom. Uh, is this the bottom? Do you what market trends are you kind of looking for? Are you following the Fed? You know, raising interest rates. What are you looking for as an investor to say, hey, you know, this is going to be the turnaround? Are we there yet? What are you looking at? So, first of all, n nobody knows what's going to happen unless even. I mean, unless you're the ones calling the shots, right? Unless you're the government, nobody really knows what's going to happen next. And so everyone's kind of speculating. And I wouldn't be surprised if we ranged here for a long time, you know, because people got their money and now they're just trying to survive. I wouldn't be surprised if the government raised rates and did some printed more money and raised inflation and did something crazy. And then we, people need more and they sell more. Um, I also wouldn't be shocked if there was a bunch of crazy good announcements and everyone got excited again. So it, it's, and this is why, and the reason why I say that is because nothing changed with the technology. So people are still using this technology to make brand new apps to, or dApps to like change fundamentally how we do things. Um, and blockchain is so powerful. You see it disrupting every industry. Um, you know, the gaming industry got really upset about blockchain because they thought it was like another way to just monetize everything. And that's all they like kind of saw with it. And, and gamers already got over monetized. So they're kind of, it's kind of like a, you know, a, a nerve when you touch, when you touch that. Um, so all they see is like, oh no, they're trying to monetize me. This is bad. But they don't understand that the technology, underlying technology of blockchain to be able to prove, the proof of your gameplay is probably one of the most single important things that we will be able to do as gamers. Um, and the reason why I say that is, how do you show proof of gameplay right now? How do you show, like if I told you I'm a good gamer, you just have to believe me, right? Or I have to go to your house or we have to play a game with each other. Or I make YouTube videos. Look at how good I am as a gamer. I'm making all these videos and look at how fast I am. I look at my speed runs. I have this world record and this and that. Or I have to be a Twitch streamer, right? Everyone come watch me play a video game so you can watch me play and my proof of gameplay of how good I am is you watching me, right? But I need to get all these people to come look at me. Now, what blockchain is gonna do with, with, with uh, gaming specifically is they're gonna be able to put gameplay on chain and you're going to have proof of gameplay and you don't need anybody to watch. You can play in your living room like you do today or your bedroom or your office or whatever have the most amazing run of your life and nobody's watching but it doesn't matter because it's on chain and you just show people look i did this here's my address i did it immutably like there you can't say i did it right and i didn't need a hundred people to watch me do it i didn't need to upload a video to have everybody watch me do this amazing thing i just did it and the blockchain showed that i did it through my on-chain proof of gameplay and so that type of stuff is going to hit every industry, medical industry, you know, the governments, banking, you know, uh, insert industry here, logistics, UPS, FedEx, like all that, like blockchain is going to do this type of stuff where you have on-chain analytics and proof of what you did and proof of where something went. It, it's, it's, I'm so bullish still on blockchain, you know, we're, we we've kind of, we're kind of in this little like 
echo chamber nft bubble there's not a lot of us and you know we follow all we all follow each other and like raise each other up but honestly nobody really knows yet what it is they just think it's pictures mm -hmm. um they just they still think you can just steal the picture um they don't understand why somebody would buy a picture because they, they they're yeah. such they're they're so high up here on surface level and we are like goblins we are like digging so far deep that we're like we've found the gold and underneath the earth's crust you know yeah. and we're trying to tell people that it's down here and they're like way up here just so the mass adoption needs to happen still yeah from a gaming right. and ownership perspective i think you you hit it right you're right on the head right there's going to be this adoption of games uh and game items and eventually gamers will come around to this i thought we saw a little bit of an improvement in maybe the systems that will eventually be you know very very laid out very you know foundational with play to earn but there was a little bit of a slip up with axie infinity i feel like now play to earns even kind of this like mantra that people might even uh get upset at, at that mantra being attached to a game uh, they think maybe it's like Ponzi-nomics and things like this. Where do you think these play-to-earn games that were in this first generation uh, of you know games to, to really get mass adopted? I think Axie Infinity could take that that role. Where were they misstepping? And this second generation that's coming up, what do you think that'll look like? So two points. The first thing I want to say is play-to-earn, this early play-to-earn phase reminds me of early free-to-play. Um, and the early free-to-play games like Farmville and stuff, like people were trying to figure out the economy. And the difference is, is Farmville had their own economy that they made up and nobody could exit. With Web3, everyone can exit your economy or trade your economy token for somebody else's token at any point, at any time. And so what you're seeing like with Axie Infinity is you know, people can leave, they can, they, they can get, they can pay to win and they can get really high up and then have this wall of like, I'm just a whale and I bought all the rare stuff. So you have to rent from me. Um, you know, it's just, there's just rule. We're just figuring it out. You know, it's like trial and error. Axie infinity, uh, was a first mover and you always have first mover advantage, but you also make the first mistakes. Uh, other people to fix them and make their games and then they make mistakes and then it just gets better and better and better and better so now you get to a point like where free-to-play games today in gaming are nothing like free-to-play games like on facebook with farmville mm -hmm. um, the free-to-play model now is super solid and it just works you know you give a certain amount of people you give the game out for free you give a certain amount of people some currency at a slow rate but you make most of your money selling the skins and the cosmetics and the season passes it's all utility it's the same it's still utility it's just utility in the ecosystem of the game so pay to earn to me is just people we just have to figure out the best way to provide utility to where people that are playing still want to buy into the system right now people want to do pay to earn not buy anything and just get paid and that doesn't work so these game companies have to figure out more attractive ways to be able to give a bunch of people some money for free but have the higher tiered people want to buy things that don't mess up the game's economy or mess up the power level of the games um, the game still has to be balanced and fun ultimately so if you ruin the balance and you ruin the fun and you ruin the economy 
then your game's gonna just, just gonna fail. Yeah, we mentioned your experience as a game designer. You had that H1Z1 game that was a really, really popular game. Uh, I played it. It's a, it's a fantastic there. Uh, the Web3 advisor piece as well, where you were working with R Fox. Uh, so you have this experience clearly, like in transitioning to the Web3 space, of course, too. What games are either doing this well now or that you see on the horizon uh, that are maybe uh, players in this new second generation that will start to arise? Or are they, do they exist at all? They, I'm sure they exist. I might just not be familiar with some of them. Um, I'm looking more of like macro level, bigger players and the bigger economy and the bigger just vision at, at large. And so I'm looking to other side and Yuga Labs, obviously, uh, with their other deeds. They're creating and selling land plots with, that are real, real land plots. Um, so they have to follow rules based on buying property and things like that. I'm sure the SEC has talked to them or sent them letters or looked into what they're doing. Um, and this, it's, it's just hard. It's hard to do that. It's hard to build a big MMO and also have Web3 with real economy and money and property. So um, I'm looking to them as a leader and I'm seeing what they do. And then I'm looking at the the old uh, Web2 guys, like the big behemoths of Web2 gaming, Blizzard, EA, Activision, um, Ubisoft, Nintendo, you know, like they're gonna make a move eventually. And uh, I, had a, I had a mentor at one of my old jobs who was a VP of EA. And he, you know, he was kind of smug about it, but he kind of, he kind of said, you know, we don't have to do anything right now. We can just let the little guys figure it out. And then once one of the little guys figures it out, then we can just buy the little guy or we can just make it ourselves. And so that's, you know, a little bit of how the sausage is made with these big companies. That's what they do. They don't take risks. They don't need to take risks. They make a Call of Duty every year and make a billion dollars. They make a, a Grand Theft Auto every three, four years and make $5 billion, right? So they don't need to take risks. They just sit back wait for the indie devs to figure it all out and then buy them or do it themselves. So for this other side land piece in the gameplay, we are getting some uh, kind of leak or like beta gameplay, I think in mid July, what does success look like there? Like for, for both Yuga, for us as holders, like what would be a great experience in mid July for us? Uh, having people who have the ability to access the game, actually get in the game and run the game. That's literally all you need. If you and I can't get into other side because it's crashing or the servers are down for a really long time, like not like, oh, it's down for an hour, we gotta fix it, okay, it's back up. I'm talking like servers are down for like three days. Um, like if we can't get into the game, that would be brutal. Like that would be the worst thing that can happen. But this is all still so new to us. If we, if they launch on, let's say July 15, I don't know what the date is. Did they say the date exactly? They just said July. Not off my brain, no. Yeah, let's just say July 15th. If we log in July 15th and there's only, you know, I don't know how many unique apes there are, but there's 10,000 apes and 20,000 mutants, but not 30,000 unique holders. But let's just say if the 20,000 people that get invited can't get in, mm -hmm. that's bad. 
Now, if we all get in and we all go to the swamp and we're all jumping around and just spinning around in circles and making, you know, dick jokes on voice chat, that's that's all you need. <laughs> like that would like go viral and everybody would like freak out. So uh, that you don't need much, right? Because we don't have much. We just have pictures. We just have PFPs. We don't have anything. But all of a sudden we have this world where we can all say hi to each other and emote and dance and talk on voice chat and laugh. Like that's all, like literally that would just send it. Yeah, and if, if you're listening at home, there has been some leaked gameplay of a, you know, one of the main notable apes kind of like going in it looking kind of like a Fortnite world. Uh, you know, you get a look at the swamp, he's jumping around, he's waving. So we've seen a little bit of that gameplay, but just from your experience as a game designer, you know, designing Web 2 games, how much work is it going to take to make that happen? I mean, Board Ape's only maybe a year and a couple months old at, at best, and now you're talking about creating a game that 20,000 people can jump in at once. How does, I mean, how is that all going to take place? I know they, they're working with a company to accelerate that process. Maybe they even bought a previously designed game. Give me your thoughts on that, because I'm just not familiar with, again, how the sausage is yeah. made using your terminology. So, first, I will say that it's very good that they're working with Improbable, because Improbable has been working on this tech for a long time. It's not like they're trying to build it from scratch. I've seen many game companies fail at making MMOs because they have to build it from scratch, which means you have to build the game engine, which has all the graphics and all of the logic. You have to build all of the art, you have to build all the animations, you gotta do all the game design, all the systems, all the UI. So the fact that they're working with Improbable, Improbable already has stuff that they use. So they already have 3D models and animations and sound effects and music and you know whatever, all that stuff. That being said, you can't just like copy paste that and have a game, right? You can like, kind of use some of their assets and their engine, which is a huge head start. But the other side still has to be built from scratch, basically. They're just, they just have a lot more things to, a lot more tools to use. Um, and so when, in my experience working at Sony Online, when, when we would have to build an engine from scratch, you're talking like a four or five year project to make an MMO, which is why it's done early, early, early to build a new engine. It's almost like building a new console. Right, like PS5 came out recently, they're already probably working on the engine that will run PS6. So um, basically, when you have the engine to start with, that cuts it down by like half, right? Like yeah. a couple years, two and a half years, you can really make something really clean and, and polished. Um, six to eight months, you can get people in the game. Um, so I think that's what we're seeing. I think July is gonna be like a deadline to like finally get people in the game. And then from there, you have like another 12 months, 12 to 18 months before it's like perfect, right? Like before everyone can get in and all the bugs are fixed and it's like a launch ready. So, but that whole time we get to play in it. That's the best part Yeah, is not 12 months of waiting, refreshing OpenSea and looking at our charts go down. It's 12 months of us, instead of talking like doom scrolling on Twitter, it's 12 months of us logging into other side and hanging out with each other. That's the big difference. So it doesn't feel like you're waiting a year. It just feels like you're on a journey for a year. And then it comes out and you know so much about the game and you're so excited and you're telling everybody, oh my God, do this, this, you gotta put, you know, it's just, 
the, it's so magical. That's the thing about making video games is when it's done well and it's done correctly and the game comes out and everybody loves it and people are having fun, it is the most magical feeling of all time. There's nothing that beats it. So for the Yuga guys and the team at Improbable, like the glory awaits them. They just have to, they just have to deliver it and they know that they have to deliver it and they're working, I'm sure, extremely hard every day, probably working overtime. Um, the bear market is probably not helping their their uh, emotion emotional state. So, you know, you got to cut them some slack, man. Like these guys, some of these guys on Twitter just are so brutal. And it's like they have no idea how hard it is to make this stuff. So, you know, you got to cut some of these game devs a lot of slack because making an MMO of this scale or a meta RPG is what they're calling it is so hard, especially with Web3 on top of it. It's hard to do it without Web3. Yeah, I don't expect much from crypto Twitter when it comes to like being nice to people. It's like, it's very much like a sometimes like a Reddit cesspool type environment when it comes to some people. That's just what it yeah. it's always been. It, it's honestly gotten better, you know. Like from 2017, you it, now that NFTs are a part of the scene, you know, you have some like actual well, you know humans and not just degenerates like us. <laughs> it, it, it's getting better because we have ownership of our identity, right? Like. Before, I would have a circle PFP, talk some shit, change my circle PFP, and nobody would remember my name and see me again. Some strange, I'm just another Anon again. Mm. But if I'm the same monkey, or I'm the same goblin, or I'm the same Boki, and I start talking shit, I'm ruining my identity. So yeah. it's actually helping people be a little more kinder, like we are in real life. You don't just walk up to a random stranger in real life and start talking shit to them. Right? That's not a normal human interaction. But online, we don't have human interactions. It's text and images. So having an identity that you establish means that you people can remember who you are. Right? And so I'm not surprised some of the people that talk the most shit aren't coming to NFT NYC. <laughs> right? It's like <laughs> I'm not coming, but like, I'm not talking a lot of shit. I, I, no, I but, dabble. But they're not coming because everyone would like actually not like them and they don't want to be around that. So it's, they already ruined it for themselves. Hmm. So that's just going to get even bigger as we get into games and we're actually, you start hearing their voices and you start like actually putting a, you know, a, a voice to the image or a voice to the PFP that people are identifying as. And so, you know, it's going to eventually turn into a stable, I will say stable-ish, because it's the internet um, ecosystem where people are generally nice to each other unless somebody's just having a bad day. But Twitter is just so toxic. It's, yeah, I can't. It's I, just. I, I like what you're getting at because essentially what's happening is our space is like just evolving, where it you know into almost maturity that it needs to be mass adopted. Some people hate that. You know, some people want the cypherpunk mentality of all of, everybody being anonymous, everybody having you know, 100% security that nobody knows where everybody is. And what you're saying is we're getting into reputation. You know, like your reputation matters in the space, which brings me to my next point, Goblin Town. We're still going to be within the other side in, in Board 8, but I do want to touch on Goblin Town because they just felt it necessary to dox themselves, right? Like this question of anonymity and should teams be anonymous has been big in the space. So what are your thoughts on goblin town doxing themselves in in anonymity in, in general in space 
I think an anonymity and privacy is super important. I don't think it's like we should all live the in the matrix and never know who everybody is. You know, that's just not fun to live your human life that way. Like you can hide in a hidey hole and nobody will know who you are or know where you are but is that living like i don't know so that's just the way that i feel about it but i do understand why it's important and why people at times need extreme privacy or why people need to be anonymous i just wouldn't want to live my entire life that way um that that being said i the goblins super smart they had to because nft nyc is coming up they couldn't stay anonymous if they wanted to do all these activations. I mean, I guess they could, but it would be weird. It would just be strange. Like, who are these guys? And they have, like, a food truck, and they have, like, merch pop-ups, and they're, like, I don't know, all the other things that they said they were doing. It just would be awkward. And so, eventually, the people who are investing in them need to know who they are, right? Like, us as goblin holders, like, before they dox themselves, I was ready to just wake up and have all of the metadata get changed and have it just be like a pile of shit and then just have the goblin town guys just laugh at us you know yeah. like and then they like nobody could have said anything nobody could have blamed them so after they dox themselves i was like oh thank god i'm not gonna lose like all my goblins aren't going to zero you know like they, they actually are going to keep these things around so i think i think at that at that point, you know, when you have a big product and you have a team and you're building, you know, uh, an eco, whatever this is, they're they're building like a, uh, almost like a, not, a, I don't want to say a cult, that's a bad word to use for the, what it is, but it's, it's almost like a way of life, like, you know, like the anti-culture. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like the anti-social social club type yes. of thing, right? And it's like, it's, it's, and you can do that anywhere. You don't have to do that on Web3. You can do that at the park, at the movies. You know, you can, you know, everyone has a little, you know, mischievous little goblin in them. And so I think that that part's really cool. How they're, the more that we see real life activations mixing with digital activations, I think is the, the, the better way to get through to mainstream. Um, you know, we've swung the pendulum so far to one side on the, the digital aspect you know it's like live literally live in the matrix right that people in mainstream think that that's super weird they're not going to ever want to do that you know it's going to be super niche and you're never going to tap into the to the the media or the mass at, masses at large but if you can show them like bring it back a little bit you can be like hey you can do this really cool thing at this park that you always go to you know, you can walk to the park and earn money using the Steppen app on pay to earn. And while you're at the park, you might have a game that does an activation because if you scanned a tree, I'm just making stuff off the top of my yeah. head, but it's like you scan this tree, then you get it and you get a, a pro app of the park, whatever. The, the point I'm trying to make is that you want to combine the two worlds so that the masses see that they don't have to be like this nerdy gamer with the headset and the gamer chair to function in this ecosystem. They can still go around and do whatever they want and, you know, not live in the matrix and still be involved in Web3. And I think those types of things are really smart, right? So bored and hungry, making their, their fast food uh, restaurant, super smart because I'm eating an actual burger that I 
you know, I eat burgers all the time, but now I'm eating a burger that's from Web3. Oh, this is interesting. What is this? And then now I'm starting to get interested into what bored apes are. And I'm starting to like, and then it just come, becomes natural, you know, so. You're hitting, you're hitting on all the right points. Uh, I think you, you really uh, hit on a, a great point with us needing to get out of our comfort zone of the metaverse, especially in that COVID environment. I think you saw it kind of shift more towards, you know, just meat space. And, and that's where people are. Right. Like, that's what you're getting at is like, if we're going to get to adoption, we need to get more people in in this environment where they're at. You almost have to bring them in. You can't say, hey, we're going to have this like metaverse party and all this stuff. And then it ends up being 12 people in crypto voxels. And it's like, well, nobody is in here yet. You know, we have to go where they are and bring them to us. And I, I think you're hitting on the right stuff, man. Yeah, I think um, I think we're gonna need a lot of help from the AR uh, industry. I think that I think the AR industry is so VR is what I'm talking about before. Where people who just want to live in the matrix, like VR, right? Mm-hmm. And VR will get better and more accessible. And I think I think what will happen is people will do it, play it like video games. Like I play this video game for an hour and a half, and then I'm done. It's gonna be like VR. I'm gonna go in VR for like an hour and a half, and then I'm done. But AR is going to be like our cell phones, right? We carry our cell phones everywhere with us. We our cell, our smartphones are just like, we don't leave the house with our smartphone. And so I think the AR mechanics are going to be that, where we are going to be so used to just walking around the physical world with AR elements. And people get scared that it's going to like look like crazy ads in Tokyo everywhere. It's, it's not going to do that because people aren't going to use those things, right? you can use a different app and show a different AR setting. So yeah. uh, the fears of like, we're gonna walk around and I'm gonna get attacked by a virtual shark and I'm gonna like have an ad pop up in my face. It's like, why would you even participate in that ecosystem? That would never happen. So, um, you know, that's the great thing about Web3. You know, you get to choose yeah. where you wanna go with your funds and you get to, you get to vote with your money a lot easier. Yeah, I'm a, a converting to AR here more and more each day because I think you're you're right. There needs to be a merger between the virtual world and the real world, and AR is going to do that at least initially, way better than the metaverse ever can. Maybe we get to the point where it gets to like Web eight, past whatever Jack Dorsey's trying to create, and maybe we can merge that within some type of metaverse. But right now, what we have augmented reality is going to going to do that just fine i, I want to uh, quickly comment uh here on the chat Lama saying i support pseudonymity uh people keep churning the docs angle because they want to flip uh you wouldn't go ask for the identity of each member in a game developer team if the game sucks so we're getting some comments there on, on the pseudonymity aspect uh you mentioned you were a goblin holder you said us when you mentioned that so I, i'm just throwing that out there if you're not cut this off really quick but what made you buy into the fact that goblins were going to be a thing unless you bought the top and then what this free mint phenomenon that we saw is that kind of just a dying ember of a top cycle or do, are we going to see free mints more and more even in the next bull so i did sweep goblins when they were like point one um right it was like an hour or two hours after they released and i did it on my phone 
and because I wasn't at home and I was getting ready to go out to dinner with like it was one of our friends birthdays and we were going to a birthday party and I'm looking at my chat and I, I, I see the first somebody posted a goblin in one of our group chats and I looked at it I was like, oh, that's interesting and then somebody posted another one and I'm like okay what is this and so I, I asked I'm like what is this I go to the website and that was it like sold completely on the website the preload and then the top right the fucking enter already like oh okay these guys have some like attitude and then the the next page the music hits with this quickly and they have their own song and i'm looking at all of the icons have their own art and so it's as an artist to draw icons that's like the most mundane, boring thing an artist can do is to have to draw icons, which is why they just steal all the icons from other places or make really easy, fast ones. But these were like hand-drawn little icons to like mute the, the music and to like click on Twitter. And then I started looking at the art of the goblins and they have all these different eyes. Making eyes for characters is the easiest way to make something look completely goofy. Like you can mess up eyes on a character, and you're, you're like you're like your character's just gonna look goofy. It's like a Picasso. It looks just it's like it looks silly. It looks yeah. it doesn't look good. And not only were they able to interchange out the eyes and make the goblins look good, they interchanged out each eye. Like you could have an eye here and an eye here, and it still looks good. And I was like, that's so hard to do. Like that means that they did a lot of iterations on this goblin. Like the original goblins, I bet you there's some concept art of the OG goblins where it doesn't look anything like they do now. Like to get to, you know, let's say Mario, Super Mario and Luigi, to get to like the version of Mario and Luigi that we have today, do you know how many times they had to draw Mario to like get to that? And so that's kind of what I saw with the goblins. I was like, God, they spent a lot of time making these characters to get them to look this good. Like every nose is a different color and the eyes are all different and the bodies are different, but they all kind of have the good shaped lines and the shading's all there. And, and like, it's just crisp. You could just like, if, you, if you're making games and you're in games and you look at gamer art a lot, you could just tell like, this is great art. So I swept them, swept like 13 of them or something. I only have seven now. But I swept like 13 goblins immediately after that. And then I went to dinner. And then after dinner, I'm looking at Twitter and people are like, this art is shit and these goblins are stupid. And I'm just like, oh man, they don't know. Yeah. They don't know how much effort it takes. People don't realize how much effort it takes to make some of this stuff. And I think that was, I got lucky because I realized that making games, you know, and seeing artists work on something for a hundred hours before they finally submit it for a round of suggestions and then we all tear it to death and then they spend another hundred hours redoing you know what i mean like people don't see that so i think that helped me realize like okay this is like these guys are super creative the art's really good they're doing everything right like i'm gonna make a move here and sweep goblins yeah, you mentioned the anti-social social club and that being like a similar thing that they're trying to do with their their vibe and that's why they've kind of taken on but at the time that you were buying and I, and up to like even right now I don't think they have a discord. They said they did they didn't work, weren't going to do a roadmap. None of that stuff kind of made you, you know, utility, all these different things that are we assigned to NFTs outside of the art. 
those things didn't phase you at all. You just you I, you knew exactly at that moment. I mean, you, yeah, because of the effort of what they were doing. If people ask for roadmaps because they don't trust the team's passion or effort or creativity. So they want to know what they have, what they're thinking about doing so they can gauge if the team is, is like creative or, or like they know what they're talking about. But not every video game has a roadmap. You know, I, I've, I've been in games most of my life and some teams have roadmaps, but not every game has a roadmap. And some games are just insanely better than other games, but that has nothing to do with their roadmap. And so I kind of look at it with that eye where I'm looking at it from, are they creative? Are they doing something different? And does the art look good? Are the animations good? It's another big one. Animations are huge. Um, and so they checked all the boxes. It just seemed, I, I, I mean, obviously now it sounds, it sounds easy to pick, but at the time it wasn't easy for a lot of people, but it just, for me, it was just checking, I was checking off all the boxes in my head and it just seemed like the right move to make. But I did get scared, I will, I will admit. I was scared, you know, when they weren't, nobody knew who they were and there was so much FUD and I really thought that, you know, there was a chance, there was like a 5% chance they were just gonna disappear. But I'm glad they didn't. Yeah, well, I mean, based on where uh, you bought those, those goblins, I'm sure you could have gotten out at your starting price uh, very easily if you're gonna you know be that guy that it has sound I, of uh, financial uh, <laughs> terms so you want so so the reason why I held them or I still held hold a lot of them is because I was so mad I only bought one board eight you know yeah yeah, yeah. you know how that feels yeah like we could have had like seven or eight board apes all of us at the time we got in if you got in last year we could have all had like five or six or seven easily but we have one and it's just like so brutal when you have one and you like you live that of having one and so when we got to goblins i was like i'm not gonna flip these like because if they end up being a thing i'm not gonna want to have one again for another year it's just so like i had to watch all these other apes have multiple apes and like go nuts and so you haven't like, sold a goblin i've so i had 13 okay. and now i have Eight. I have okay. seven, and I have one that we share with our friend group, where we have like an NFT friend group that we all put into, just for like fun. Mm -hmm. So technically, I have eight, but I have seven for me. Um, uh, I gifted one. I sold. I sold one at cost to cover the other twelve. I see. And I I sold that for like two point five or two point one or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then I sold a couple more to sweep some floors of some other nfts yeah so so it was sound financial uh systems there that you had going oh, on you yeah. you sold well, i'm not selling a goblin unless they're i'm putting that money into something very good gotcha yeah ev dude honestly everybody has their own journey in this stuff because it, it, it goes back to the those bitcoin stories where they talk about if you had held bitcoin from 2012 all the way to now you'd have a billion dollars like nobody does that everybody has their own story i actually got gifted an ape because i got somebody else into it but he completely exited the ecosystem at ad but he made a ton of money you know it was a, i got he got in early enough he had bought like i mean i'm talking maybe 20 but if he held the 20 to the top you know how that story goes so i feel like it's just everybody has their own story with I, I, have a, I had a really 
I had a really good mentor. It's actually he's actually the CEO of of Arfox. Um, his name is Benny or Ben Fairbank. Yep. And he was my mentor. I, I started the gaming division of that company with him when there was just like three of us, and now they have like a hundred person team. Like, the, if you got, if you guys want to go check it out, like they're trying to take over Southeast Asia basically with blockchain, and so they're they it's a long pull, huge project. Anyways. He, he has so much knowledge in the crypto space because he's one of those OGs from like 2012, 2013, whatever. And um, he told me that it's so much easier to hold your assets when you get your money back. So I can hold these seven goblins for eternity because I already sold a goblin to get all my money back. House money. And, and that makes it so much easier mentally. Like this is such a mental game. And when you can get your, you, you take your risk and you put your investment in, but when you can at least get that that you put in back, yeah, you're, you you could you potentially lose extra funds, but you gain mental health, right? Like that's what's so important. So don't think of it as like, oh, I'm losing, like I'm selling this NFT for one ETH. I know it's going to go to ten ETH. The mental health that you get from selling that for one ETH and getting your money back and watching your other things go to ten ETH is a hundred times better than stressing about it the entire time and by the time it does get to 10 ETH you're just like a wreck so you know just I can't stress it enough get your money back at the very least and then just hold and just you know yeah not financial advice everybody of course on the channel never is but I agree that you know valuing your mental health valuing your physical health is something we just don't do in the NFT space that often I think you need to be in it for at least six months to a year to understand holy shit I am a wreck. I need to take care of all these things because, you know, we move in light years. So uh, I did want to get one last take here on, on Board Ape uh, Arc. A lot of people, you know, are looking at said roadmap, which I think you made a fantastic one. One of the best points I've heard on the 50Q show there with that roadmap point. But a lot of people are looking at the roadmap of Board Ape and saying most of everything that would drive it to 150 ETH is off the table right the other side land drop the token air drop uh and i mean ape token there the mutant air drop you know all of these things have taken place what's going to get board ape back to that spot is it ever going to get back up to that spot based on all these things having already happened what do you say to that so real quick i forgot to answer the other part of the question which was i think the whole free mint meta was you know, super degenerate and great and fun, but I think it's just like a free-to-play meta, you know, and eventually some projects are better not free mint, some projects are better free mint, just like games. Some games are better on a subscription model or a box copy, some games are better on free-to-play. So it, it, the business, it's a business model. Your business model has to match your project. But anyways, well, let me let me well, let me let me uh, follow up on that because that's a great point. What makes one business model like I'm, I'm thinking about people who maybe want to create an NFT collection or things like this? Why should one person go f and say do a free mint as opposed to do a another type of mint? Like, what are the different features that that you think using your business mind? Free, free mints are for projects like Goblins where they've already done a ton of artwork. They've already planned ahead months ahead they have a large team already and so they have a lot of confidence in their ability to deliver they don't need the money from the mint right and so it's more of like a, if you're going to do a free mint it's because you're going for a large audience so 
So if you're just like a dude or a girl and you make an NFT collection and, and it's just you and you do free mint, good luck. Because <laughs> it's like you got all these people to mint your stuff. Now they want things. So, you know, but if you're just a single person and you're selling a piece of art for $1,000, that's different. You don't need to do anything. You're one person. You sold the art. You, they paid $1,000 for it. They don't need anything else from you. They're going to buy your art and hold it. So it, it's it's like the the free mint meta is was a great way to make a quick buck for some of these people, but for the people that take it seriously, you really got to think about your plans after you do the free mint because mm -hmm. people are gonna want to like participate and they want things to happen, and you know that's it's it's, it's funny that you can mint something for free and have expectations, but I guess you can calculate gas prices in there. But well, I mean, yeah, well, it's because it's if you give somebody something for free, it's much easier for them to throw it away. Hmm. I give you a piece of paper that's a flyer that says, come to my show, and you, like, take it and you throw it in the trash, right? But, it, like, you pay for something, it's different. Yeah. You're not going to throw it in the trash. You're going to be, you're bought in. You're going to be, you know what I mean? So free mints are, like, you're holding people's attention for 30 seconds, so you better do something quick or they're gone. Got it. And so that's why goblins, it worked for goblins, because they were a free mint and they just deliver every day something new, something new, something new, like that's, and so it's working. All right, guys, we Anyways, also... yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. real quick. Yeah. The, the, I, I do think Bored Apes will eventually get back to 150 because either Ethereum's gonna go down to $500 or we're gonna wait long enough to where the value just goes to 150. That's my quick take. Uh, okay, but what's going to drive that value now that you don't have the airdrop, now that you don't have the all oh. these these token airdrops? Like, you can make the argument that maybe there won't be a, a token airdrop for another year. Well, you have the other side. I mean, you you have... We could talk about why board Apes are valuable for an hour, but we don't have time to do that. But yeah. basically, that there's historical factors, there's, like just art factors there's collectible factors there's the games there's the company the, the team like i don't know it's it's so funny to even art uh to to be on the side of an argument to be bullish about apes because it's like they're already so they're already like kings right now so you know it's up to them it's hard being the king but it, it really is up to them to just just keep providing awesome things you know irl events they they're building us a metaverse game they're they're dropping us ape coin they're there's they're doing stuff so i'm incredibly bullish on on the board api club again shout out to the bunny gang uh that we are in uh, a group with those people are, are definitely uh, awesome those those holders those fellow uh bunny ears uh derivative peeps uh but i do have the question uh, let me throw this out there merch one through ten what are you rating it? Ten being the highest, one being the lowest. Um, I actually didn't buy any. So, so one. So I, and it wasn't because of a one. It was because when the merch dropped, like something was wrong with the website or something. Remember, yeah. I don't remember what it was, but I like woke up early and I did the whole thing and my my got my cold storage wallet out. I like I was super tired and I remember like trying to do it and so there was some issue and then I was just like. I'm not gonna do this. And then, I, it, so here's the here's the here's the the reason why. I've been in gaming, and merch. Every game has merch. 
every single game. And then even games that you don't work on, people send you merch. And it's like, I have a thousand gamer t-shirts. I don't, I'm jaded on merch. I'm done with merch. Like I don't care about a hoodie. I don't care about a shirt. I've had like a hundred yeah. merch shirts. So that's also kind of like, you have to understand that, take it with a grain of salt. I'm super jaded on merch. Okay, got it. All right, guys, we have an arc legger here. Uh, he has pretty much laid out a, a lot of great theses on why the other side is going to be, you know, potentially a really great game in, in bringing uh, Web3 gaming forward, blockchain gaming forward. Uh, but we're going to throw some lightning questions at you, Ark, here to end the episode. I do have one from the comments. Uh, I see easy, our vibe, our tribe. Uh, Llama is saying, what's your view on fractionalized NFTs? Would you do it? I think it's great. I think there are NF not not all NFTs are created equal, right? We say NFT, but it's like saying, you know, website. You know, do you like fractional websites? Yes, I do. Um, so it it depends on the asset. Uh, if you have a Fidenza that's like a super rare Fidenza that somebody bought a, for a thousand Ethereum at an auction, well, I would think a lot of people would want to own a piece of that if they decided to fractionalize it. Um, and that's just for pure art. But I think fractional NFTs make a lot of sense when it comes to, uh, you know, let's say I'm a university and I have a diploma token or a diploma NFT, and I'm going to fractionalize it out to 100,000 children who get 4.0 grade point average during the month of May, and they get to raffle it. And so now I have 100,000 diploma tokens from U USC and the kids get to redeem it for a, uh, uh, an education. You know, that type of stuff I think is great. And, and this is the type of stuff that you can do with NFTs that hasn't even started to happen yet. So, you know, um, there's, it's, it's hard to not sell me on a good NFT use case because I think the potential is huge. Yeah, I think it's it's all encompassing. It's just a matter of when, right? It's not if, it's when all of these use cases are going to kind of be implemented. Uh, another lightning question here. Uh, we're talking about uh, you know different types of NFTs. Derivatives are another big one. I know you have the the wrecked ape uh, NFT as your as your profile picture. What are you looking at when it comes to derivatives? You know, we talked about Goblin Town uh, and the art that you're looking at, but when it comes to derivatives. And that being a huge part of the NFT market, to be honest, what are you looking at? So I've burnt a lot of money on derivatives and gotten burnt many times. And the only, here's my biggest takeaway on derivatives. Derivatives are memes and not all memes are created equal. Some memes are better than others. Some memes die in a day. Some memes are epic and will live forever. So I think derivatives fall under that category. Um, I do think some derivatives are way better than others. If you create a derivative out of thin air, so like, like, I don't want to, I don't mean to pick on these guys, but it's the easiest example. You have okay bears and then you have not okay bears and they like, all they did was flip them. So they just like created the art out of thin air basically. I don't think that that's worth anything. But if you make a derivative, but you have to own the parent NFT to make the derivative, that's valuable because how do we make children? You have to have the parent, both parents have to be there to make the child. You can't just make the child. You have to like put in the work to make the child. 
So it's kind of the same way with derivatives. You have to have the parent NFT to make the derivative NFT. That makes the derivative NFT a lot more valuable because anybody who owns that derivative NFT knows that it came from the parent. Mm. And in that use case, I think derivatives are really bullish because you can track it just like a history, just like, just like um, your, your genetic history, right? Like you can track it back up the family tree well, you can do the same thing with derivatives that started from the parent, right? As long as there's that chain. So I think those derivatives hold a lot more value. Do those type of derivatives lack the community engagement when it comes to having someone that's already part of another community, say like a board ape, and they're actively involved in those, you're asking them now to be the ones that are creating these new NFTs based on their derivative and join your community? Well, I mean, that's what mutants are. Mutants are derivatives of apes, but you had to have the mute. You had to have the ape plus the serum to make the mutant. Mm. So that's why mutants are worth a lot. Gotcha. If mutants were just created, like ten thousand of them were kind of created out of thin air, right? Because they were airdropped. But at least you had to have the mutant still. Or wait, no. How did it work? How did it, they? It was. It was the serums. There were serums. Just no, random. No, serums. I know this. But the serums were airdropped to the apes. But how was there twenty thousand? Where did the other ten thousand come from? I don't remember. Oh. It had, the only thing I know is it didn't have anything to do with kennels because ken, people who own kennel dogs get, yeah. get nothing <laughs> in this environment <laughs> ever. Yeah, but anyways, that's why mutants aren't as valuable as apes because there was a bunch of them created out of thin air, but there were 10,000 of them that had to be from original apes. So there's still some inherent value there. I'm going to rack my brain, but we might as well do this after the chat's probably going crazy. They're probably like, duh, it was this. <laughs> I, I do have a chat here from from hash rhymes uh who's asking about soulbound tokens do you have any thoughts on on soulbound tokens so i thought that was hilarious because that's mmos that's MMO, like we've been doing soulbound mm. items for decades mm. and it's great there's some things that are good for soulbound and there's some things that are not good for soulbound right like you don't want to soulbound a pfp collection because part of the fun is trading them and swapping them and giving them to other people but you might want to soulbound a token that's like an artifact that that is like tied to your wallet that's just you know and it's just you know it's just there it depends on the use case I, we've gamified the internet okay web3 is gamifying the internet and when you gamify the internet some things are good for some games and some things are good for other games there's no you know the the rules that you put in a snowboarding game are not the same rules that you would put in a skateboarding game. Yeah. Completely different. So you have to think of it that way. All of these ideas can be good and viable depending on the situation that they get put in. But I don't think there's like a silver bullet, like soulbound tokens, that's the thing, and we're all gonna do soulbound, you know, so. A lot of interesting nuggets in this episode. This has been a really good, insightful conversation, man. Like the. I feel like we do tend to paint with a broad brush because the space is so small. We're like, oh, no, no, play to earn. This has to be this way. It's like, no, yeah. maybe this works for this one, and maybe it doesn't for another. Whereas people often just, like, kind of generalize and say, oh, no, because this game didn't work out and it was it was a Ponzi, that th it can't work in another game. 
I think I think you're hitting on it uh, really well, man. Uh, I, we are coming up to the end uh, of the episode here. I have a couple more lightning questions as it's related to other side. We also did talk about you wanting to make a little bit of an announcement on on what you were you know getting into these days uh, in Web three. But you are Team No Coda. I'm Team No Coda. Not although not on my Twitter profile. Are are you Team Artifact? Do you have any artifacts? What are your thoughts on Coda's artifacts uh, and your last thoughts on other side? So, um, you know, the meme of like the dip, the dip, the dip, the actual dip <laughs> so, with, the, with the gun, the guys like yeah. all trying to shoot each other. So on like the third one, what I thought was like the actual dip, I, um, started making some moves and I sold, um, uh, an Azuki for a Gucci PFP 10 KTF. And I sold a doodle for a artifact plot. Um, and I was like, yes, I made these great moves, but then we just kept going down, 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 down. But I do have one artifact. Um, I don't think it's, I think people just need to get another deed as long as there's only a hundred thousand other deeds, right? Think of it like a city. If everybody wants to live in, you know, random city, if there's only a hundred thousand homes in that city, well, if it's a popular town and everybody starts going there and flying there and doing events there and doing shows there and the NFL team goes there and a baseball team, well, then those 100,000 plots start going up, 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 because there's way more than 100,000 people that are going to be in this space, you know, two, three years from now. So I think any other deed is a smart move um, if, if, if other side turns into a place that we all want to hang out. Uh, we did get some hate, uh, not hate. It was it was jokingly hate from the chat here. NFT addiction helpline saying, uh, "LOL, wouldn't put it past ape holders to not know what happened on the mutant aid drop." So, I'll give you uh, one last piece there. Uh, NFT addiction helpline. Appreciate the comments here today. This has been the Nifty Q but Show. Tell us, tell us what it was. Oh yeah, I would, I would, yeah. Thank you. Well then, then it's not viable. It's not a viable disc if we didn't get the answer. Um, All I knew is I got an M1 serum, and I was like, what is this? Why is it worth 20 grand? Oh, yeah. holy shit. That was what happened that day. I was like, what? <laughs> at, at your, this is my last question. So if you guys have any last pieces, definitely get them in uh, before I got to let Art go. But my last question here is based on, like, the storyline and the layout of the map. Just from your history as a game designer, do you like what they've done? Is there some pieces that you don't like uh, that they've done with the little piece of information that we have on the other side. I'm so glad you asked this question. So their design, I think, is brilliant. The fact that they made it look like a galaxy and that it's all spinning towards the center. Um, When I worked on a game called Plant Side 2, it was uh, a war game on a continent. And if you've ever played Battlefield, you know, a battlefield map with 64 players. This was like having like 20 of those all connected. And it was a massive game. You could have thousands of people in there all playing at the same time. Um, And it had tanks and airplanes and soldiers, everything. And everybody gravitated towards the center. No matter what we did, no matter how we made each continent, the center was where everybody went. And so we started to like track this behavior. And so when we made H1Z1, we used the knowledge from Planet Side 2. We're like, okay, everybody goes towards the center, so let's make Pleasant Valley the main city right in the center. 
And what happened? Everybody ran to Pleasant Valley, right in the center of the map. So the fact that they put the swamp, I don't know if they intentionally did this, but the fact that they put the swamp in the center and all of the apes in the center and all the mutants around them, oh my God, brilliant. Because all of those are always gonna be popping. So you know, as you expand out, you might not have a ton of people out here you know, you're going to have dips in player count and player concurrency and things like that. But the center is always going to be popping. Like, there's always going to be apes and mutants in there playing. And everyone's going to want to move towards the center. So that's like some alpha if you're trying to look for another deed, you know. I have a gripe to pick with Yuga for making the center not RNG, though. Like, they were like, oh, board apes 1 through 500 are all on this island. And I'm like, What? Why, why, why? Nothing you've ever done to me before has made me not like you. And this, even though you're airdropping me free money, why did it have to be one through 500 on that? I think, I think it would have been the same if, if it was anyway. I think, yeah. I think if they made it random and, and some 9,300 person was right next to number three, mm-hmm. then they're going to be like, this is stupid. He found about board apes. A week after I found about Board Apes, I was in the Discord and promoting it, and I was the third person to mint a Board Ape, so I deserve to be in the center. Like, you're going to get that no matter what. Like, you can't, you're going to, especially in gaming, especially in gaming, they don't care. They only care about themselves. (laughs) The funniest funniest combo that's happening in the NFT space is like, what, and I've had this question myself. I have to throw it out there, right? It's like, why are gamers so upset at NFTs coming into their games? Like, no, just gamers are upset at everything. It's just the flavor of the week. They're upset at everything. I'm a toxic gamer. You know, it's well documented. So, uh, yeah. It's just so emotional. Gaming's, gaming is so emotional. You're so into it, and it's so competitive. And, like, of course, when you lose or when you die, you're like, fuck, fuck. <laughs> Twitter, F you, you know, it's like, it's just an emotional reaction. So it's like, you see that happen all the time. I think it's, I think it's more than just, it's not just gamers. It's just anybody who cares about something so much and then they lose, you know, doesn't feel good. Yeah, it's it's well documented on this channel that I'm a toxic league player. I've been banned from oh, from, no. from League of Legends and, and they all know this, but H1Z1, H1Z1, it, was it one of the first Battle Royales? Like, was it one of the first it was, ones? That... It was the first one to uh, break through into the mainstream. So Player Unknown, Player Unknown made a mod on Arma 3, and before that, uh, Rocket Two Guns and Brian Hicks made a mod on DayZ for Arma 2 that was like a Hunger Games type of mode. Um, but... Player unknown on Arma 3 made the actual like circle and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And so we kind of saw that as like, holy shit, this is a great idea. And we reached out to him and he came to our studio, sat right next to me, and we designed H1Z1 Battle Royale together. And That's awesome. when it came and when it came out, it actually said player unknowns battle royale H1Z1. So it was like all there. Uh, so you- and then, Go ahead. No, I was gonna say you etched your you know name in the history of, of gaming lore, man. That's freaking awesome. That's awesome. It, it's 
I, I, I love the how it took off because it was really fun. We saw that it was really fun. It was the the analogy that I like to give is uh, there's a guy who found kids skateboarding in like the 80s. Like he went to like Venice Beach or something. And he saw kids skateboarding. He's like, what is that? And he's like, everybody should have this, right? And then that guy brought skateboarding to the whole country. And so That's I kind awesome. of felt the same way. It's like I, I kind of like felt lucky. I feel like I went somewhere and saw somebody playing Battle Royale, and I was like, what is this game? Oh my god, this looks great. You should totally do this. Yeah, that reminds me of Lords of Dogtown. I think that story came up in that in that movie, man. That's awesome uh, with the skateboarders. So, yeah, congrats on that success too, man. It's been a, an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the Nifty Q Show. Last piece here uh, before I let you go. Let us know what you're doing in Web3, man. What's what's the next move for art? Okay, so for me, I'm very much into gaming, obviously. I'm looking forward to other side. I'm still in on Cool Cats with their battling and their housing. I'm super bullish on 10KTF and all the stuff that they're doing. I'm even into the smaller projects like Frogland because they got land drops coming. Arcade.inc with their Apes versus Mutants uh, game that they made for them already and they're gonna do their game that's mobile ready soon. Um, I'm big on RumbleCon League and the videos that they've been showing recently and like all that stuff. I'm big on just like game. Like we have enough profile pictures, okay? Everybody in the chat, you have like a hundred profile pictures. You don't need any more profile pictures. Like gaming is the next wave. Uh, I really do believe that we're gonna start having more fun with the profile pictures now. We all have our PFPs, now let's use them, right? Now let's put them into games and start leveling them up and getting stats and like, you know, all that fun stuff, RPGing our characters. Um, so that's where my headspace is at. And now I have a personal thing that I'm working on that is like a little, I like to do creative things, you know, just to keep my mind fresh. You know, I did like DJ mixes when I was younger and I, I've always tried to do like creative stuff. And so now I'm getting into photography and I have a collection that I'm working on. Um, so I'll probably, it's not gonna be ready anytime soon. It'll probably be some stealth drop thing that I make a website for when it's the time is right. But I wanted to like do something different. I wanted to do something that I could do just me. And, and you know, I, most of my career I had, I had to rely on 100, 200 person teams to get anything done. And it's just really hard. It's a lot of like defensive convincing and like debating and emails and like, this is the right idea. This is the right idea. This is the right idea. Like, let's all work together. It's just, so I wanted to like do something where it was like, okay, I'm just gonna do it myself and see if I can do something successful just with me. So it's almost like a test. So I have a photography um, thing that I'm working on. And so that's all I'll say. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I'll be eagerly awaiting that. It's cool to have your own little baby project that is just yours, and it's going to succeed or fail based on you, and, and that's a cool feeling to have. So Yeah, uh, I, I would love for it to fail so I could learn from it to make a better collection the next time. Love that. All right, that was the last like great nugget here on the Nifty Q show today. Uh, I had Ark Lager, game designer and Web3 advisor uh, here in the space, man. Absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, guys, we are going to be here tomorrow with Crypto Buffalo, uh, an awesome uh, member and lad uh, here going way back. So really excited uh, for that conversation. But Ark, thank you so much for stopping by here today, man. Appreciate of you. Of course. Of course. Talk to you later. Thanks, guys.